Good morning. You can have a seat. How are you guys feeling this morning? Good? Good. Good. Scripture tells us, we look at Psalms, uh, there's a declaration that when God's people come together, it's something to celebrate. And even as we just sang, that, that death doesn't have a grip on us anymore, that the chains have been broken, we come together as God's people to remind each other that even though we know all through the week we've been sinning, agreed? All through the week we've been sinning, that sin doesn't have a claim on us anymore if we're in Christ, right? So we gather together to be an encouragement to one another and especially to worship and praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, and especially if you're new around here, we want you to know that this is not the extent of why we gather together. We don't just come in to sit on the Sunday morning and, and celebrate a little bit and leave and never touch base with each other again. Uh, it's our hope and our joy to walk with one another as we navigate uh, sin and victory and what Christ does in our lives on a continual basis. So if you're not connected somewhere, we would love for you to get connected here. And there's some very simple ways for you to do that. Uh, we say it all the time. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. On one side is uh, welcome. On the other side is prayer. We would love it if you'd fill both of those out. And you can drop those in the offering plate as they come by in a minute or at the welcome desk. And uh, we just want to make a connection with you so that we can help you take your next steps with Jesus. Also, if you're, if you're a technophile, um, you can text WELCOME to 319-320-1834. So if you love technology or hate technology, we've got you covered, okay? Uh, so everybody, everybody's welcome if you hate technology or love it. Uh, but also, we want you to know that uh, the purpose of this is so that you can know that we have a couple other avenues for you to really get connected with God's people here. One is in life groups. If you're not in a life group, we strongly recommend that that's the way in which you continually grow, to have connection with God's people. Also, to be involved in service teams, serve one another, and one very easy way for you to do that, you, yeah, you can serve outside the church, but it's good to serve one another here, too, because then you get to know one another and you labor together on a continual basis. So uh, we just want you to know that those are ways that you can have the, the full encouragement experience of celebrating who Christ is, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. Amen? Awesome. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me and turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read our text for this morning that Pastor Randy will be preaching from. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning. We thank you that you are powerful. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that uh, you are mighty to save. Lord, you are the God of all power, all knowledge. And Father, we know that, that healing is, is not a big deal for you. you. You can do that at any point in time that you so desire. Father, oftentimes we look at physical healing as, as being the, mo- the most important thing, or especially if we are uh, ailing or ill, and, and we believe and are told in your word that, that you can accomplish those things. But you also show us that what's more amazing than even healing our bodies is being able to cover our sin debt, being able to forgive us of our sins. So, Lord, this morning, no matter what problems we bring in here, if it's a physical ailment, Lord, if it's, a, if it's some form of sadness, Lord, if it's a struggle, whatever we're bringing in here this morning, we know that you are the only one who can set us free. And, Father, we know that we have the greatest hope in that we have forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. So, God, I pray this morning that that might be the strongest encouragement to us, Lord, that wherever we're at in life, that we know that our sins can be forgiven. We know that we can have a place with you in eternity. And Father, may we celebrate that as being our highest goal, to know you and to count all other things as loss. So, Father, this morning we also ask that you would use that knowledge in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit to Make us generous people, Lord, that we would pour out our lives for the gospel, that we would serve one another in love, that we would be an encouragement to one another, and that we would spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Lord, we are thankful this morning that we gather together to celebrate these things and pray that as we hear from your word, that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to receive it humbly and that you would change us. Lord, we love you. We pray for our community. Uh, that, Lord, you might do a mighty work and bring many to know you. And, Father, even better, that you might use us to be the messengers. Lord, we praise your name and we thank you this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Keith. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. Somebody looked at me today and they said, Randy, you're so casual. And I said, yes. Because uh, our director of Stonebridge Kids, Jenny Danner, said, Randy, on Sunday you're wearing this shirt. I said, okay, okay. How many kids do we have here? Backyard Bible Club's coming. I didn't hear any. uh... But uh, this starts this week. We hope you be praying for that. The kids are going to be studying, you know, what is the good news of Jesus and we're trying to equip our kids to be disciples of Jesus and to share the gospel with others. So please be praying as we kick that off in the next week and two. Uh, also, this week, our new lead pastor and his family are coming, Pastor Brandon Levering. Yeah, praise the Lord, they're coming. They're driving from the east, And they will be here by uh, Friday. They'll be here in time to worship with us next Sunday. And they'll be officially moving into their house on Monday. And uh, we're delighted to see them. Uh, There's some things that you should know. We've got an onboard team 
that will be helping them with their needs. Uh, these are the people listed there. If you have any questions or wonder how you can help, you could contact one of these folks. Uh, many of you have already given gift cards, and we really appreciate that. Also, on July 14, we've got uh, our district superintendent, Cal Swan, coming from Ames, and he will preside over our service to install Pastor Brandon as officially as our new lead pastor. So you'll want to come for that because immediately following, we're going to have a picnic out here on the grounds. And I've been told it's not going to rain that day. <laughs> and so we're going to have a great time. It'd be a good way just to meet him, meet his family, and welcome them to the community. So please put that on your calendar. And like I said, if you have any questions, check with uh, our onboard team. On Thursday, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. June 6, 1944, General Dwight Eisenhower leading the charge, Operation Overlord, 6.30 in the morning, sending people out on a dangerous journey across to the France. The word D, a lot of debate about that. Uh, some quoted President Eisenhower as saying later that it meant departing date. Some of the soldiers looked back and said it was doomsday for many. Operation Overlord had 1,087 aircraft, 2,500 paratroopers who often landed in the wrong place and even landed in marshes that the Germans had flooded in order to paralyze their progress. 108, 128 destroyers, 4,000 landing craft, delivering 156,000 men into battle. Five separate beaches. And in the meantime, the Nazi army had also strengthened the shoreline with bunkers and pillboxes, which they called the Atlantic Wall. 1.5 million tons of steel. 105 millimeter howitzer artillery guns. Four million landmines. You see why it was so catastrophic to try to get up on the beaches. The Allied warriors went up to fight. Meanwhile, the Nazis had also sent their people in to fight, and by the end of three months, when the United States finally was able, with the Allies, to free France from Germany, over 200,000 American soldiers had died, and another 200,000 plus, almost half a million soldiers died in the first three months of that war. It's good to remember, isn't it? Do we have any uh, Second World War veterans with us today that we could honor? Would you just raise your hand? Not many of them left anymore, but we honor them. Now, you're probably wondering, why do I bring that up? Well, the reason I bring that up is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ invaded 
the land of Palestine. Historians say that uh, the D-Day was the longest day, and it did. It went in through the night, and they were fighting continually. The gospel writer Mark describes the longest day in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 1. He comes on the scene invading our planet, the God-man, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm here. I'm the king. Repent and believe the gospel. And immediately he went out after being tempted in the wilderness, and he began to do ministry. His teaching was so authoritative, the people said, we can't believe this. This is better than our own rabbis and scribes, because he teaches with authority. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 20 and verse 27. He cast out demons. He healed people. In fact, as you come to the end of chapter 1, he heals a man of leprosy, and then he tells the man, now when you go out, don't tell anybody. And the man, of course, was so happy that he was healed, he went out and blabbed it all over. So Jesus couldn't go anywhere without attracting a crowd. And that's when the enemy struck. You know, somebody said when revival breaks out, the first one to wake up is the devil. Well, immediately opposition begins. And when you come to Mark chapter 2, all the way to chapter 3, verse 6, you find five controversies that have been stirred because of Jesus' powerful teaching and healing ministry. The people who are most threatened by this are the religious leaders. We're going to focus on the first of the controversy stories in verses 1 through 12. What we see in that, and I think you would agree with me, is that this story, Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, teaches us that Jesus is the Son of Man, His term, who alone has power and authority to forgive and to heal. As we read this story, we, we see surprises. Did you notice that? The surprises. I mean, it's so good. Jesus, of course, now is back home in his home area, Capernaum, and he's teaching in somebody's house. And they say, you know, maybe 50 people squeezed in there, and there's not room, so others are standing outside. And uh, because this man who was healed of leprosy went out and blabbed all over, he's got this big crowd to contend with, and he's teaching the Word. He's teaching the Word. Four men show up, and they've got their friend with them who's on a stretcher. The Bible just says he's paralyzed. Before I was a pastor, I was a nurse, and I worked for four years at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, in rehabilitation. We came alongside people who had been paralyzed. Sometimes people were paraplegic, which meant the damage to their spine was low enough that their legs were paralyzed. They went through therapy, physical therapy, to try to get better so they could be independent. But we also had a number of quadriplegic, people who were suffering because of an accident that struck the higher part of their neck, and so they were paralyzed from the neck down. 
Uh, many of you are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. The reason I bring that up is because it's an impossible situation. When the spine is severed, there's no way that you can be healed medically. I mean, they're still working on solutions, possible ways to help people who have spinal injuries to get better. But here they, these four men, and they loved their friend, and they'd heard this stuff about Jesus, that he was healing people. And they dared to have the hope and faith that Jesus could help him. So they brought their friend to this home where Jesus was teaching, and of course, the crowd would not let them in. Everybody was packed in and listening, just ignored these four guys. But these are the kind of friends to have, right? They said, hey, that's not going to stop us. And homes in that at time were, had an outdoor staircase so that people could get up on the top, the roof, and enjoy the night breezes because there was no air conditioning in that day. And the roof was a kind of a thatched roof with uh, logs and things across like a checkerboard and then they would put in thatched and branches and, and it wasn't like our roofs today that, that last a long time. If you want to know more about roofs, there's a fellow right down here, Ted, can tell you a lot about roofs. He's put a lot of them on. But roofs of that time were not the same. But these men carried their friend up the steps. Imagine how he felt. You know, I trust you guys, but hey, don't drop me. And he gets to, they get to the top, and they say, we're going to pull these things apart and lower our friend down. Can you imagine being down below? And you feel a piece of dirt, you hear some commotion, you look up, then you get dirt in your eye. And you know, what are we Americans thinking when something's going on like this? Well, the owner of the home is thinking, man, I hope I'm paid up on my house insurance. And it keeps dropping in your eyes, and it, pretty soon there's a hole, and these four guys are looking in, and then this, this fellow is being lowered right down in front of the crowd. It's so surprising and shocking. And, and what does Jesus do? You know, sometimes uh, pastors are not very nice when there's interruptions. Preachers don't like it when people get in the way of their message. Uh, I've known pastors that uh, have not done something very smart. When a child is crying and they say, uh, take that kid out of this worship center. I think, whoa, don't you know Jesus is telling that child, cry, you know, and you're telling him to be quiet. Jesus didn't say, hey, don't you know I'm teaching here? No, he didn't say that. The man came, lowered down. But what Jesus says next is shocking. He looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you'd been, at the, be honest here, if you'd been there, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, ah, ah, can't you see Jesus? The man is, he, he's got a physical problem. You just flippantly say, your sins are forgiven? It's like, like mocking the man. How could you say that? Son, your sins are forgiven.
back in Bible days, people thought that there was a direct cause and effect. If you sinned, God would judge you. And so this man may have been uh, the victim of uh, sinning. I shouldn't call him a victim. He must have sinned, and now God was punishing him. And um, so before you could ever um, expect to have any hope in life, you'd need to be forgiven, but you couldn't be forgiven if you were uh, sick and dying because of your sin. Direct cause and effect. I mean, we see that in John chapter 9, where uh, the disciples asked Jesus about a man who was blind, you know, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he should be born blind. And Jesus said, no, no, there's not a direct cause-effect here. Uh, the point is that when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, the consequences of separation from God, our rebellion against God, was disease, sickness, cancer. Uh, surely this young man grew up thinking the world is not right, just like we do. The world is not right. What's wrong? Well, sin. Sin has ongoing effects. It's quite a surprise to have Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. Now, of course, the religious leaders did not like that at all, did they? Jesus could see what, you know, it doesn't say they said anything. Jesus could read their thoughts. <laughs> and he knew what they were thinking. They were thinking, who does this guy think he is? No one but God can forgive sins. Now, let me just point out here, they were excellent theologians, because that's true, right? Only God can forgive sins. Yeah. Amen to that. They're also thinking, if this man is lying, I mean, anybody can say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, you know, and how would you know? How would you know if somebody's heart is really forgiven? You can't see it. It's not visible. And they're also looking at this and they're saying, this is blasphemy. Uh, the word blasphemy just means that somebody takes the glory that belongs to God and ascribes it to themselves, and this is an accusation against Jesus. He is doing what only God can do. He's blaspheming. And all you have to do is look at the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 24, the penalty for blasphemy is death. So they're thinking this. And then we're, we see another surprise, don't we? As they're uh, condemning Jesus in their own thoughts and minds, Jesus, seeing their thoughts, reading their minds, says, hey, which is more difficult, to say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your mat and go home? Well, the answer to that question would be, it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven because to take up your mat and go home means a visible miracle and if you're not really able to heal the sick, then you're just lying. But then Jesus said this, just so you know that I do have the authority as the Son of Man, one of Jesus' favorite terms, uses 80 times in the Bible, 14 in the Gospel of Mark. Just so you know that I have the authority to forgive. 
Stand up, take your mat, and go home. Now you can just imagine the stunned silence as the man feels his body made whole, stands up, and carries his mat out of the room. And it says that when the people saw this, they worshipped God. Did you see that in verse 12? When they saw what had happened, they were amazed and they glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Wow! Imagine what that must have been like to witness this miracle. Sometimes we think that God doesn't heal anymore. We have a guy in my Tuesday morning Bible study as we were studying this. uh, He said, you know, uh, I went on a mission trip with a uh, group of medical professionals and we went to Guatemala. We went to a village. He said over a thousand people showed up to get medical help. And he said, one of the little girls that came was blind in one eye and they had an optometrist with them and they wanted the optometrist to evaluate and, and, you know, look over this little girl. And he said, they took her into the optometrist. Two minutes later, the optometrist comes walking out and he said, why did you bring this little girl to me? She sees perfectly fine. She had 20-20 vision in both eyes. The whole village knew that something miraculous had happened. They'd never seen this before. And according to Bob, everybody there, all, all over a thousand people, just were bowing and praising God at what had happened. They'd seen the power of the living God. What are we to learn from this? We've got four men bringing a friend, and Jesus forgives and heals him, proving that he has the power and authority to forgive and heal. So what are we to learn? Well, I'd like to suggest three lessons that we can learn from this. First of all, we can learn that uh, suffering is all around us. All around us are human needs, urgent needs. People have crippling, physical, emotional needs. There are people who have parents suffering from dementia. We have people that are getting cancer treatment this week for really serious diseases. We have people with addictions and and these physical problems seem impossible, hopeless situations. We are surrounded in our families, in our church, in our community, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with people with overwhelming human needs. And why do they have them? Because of sin. Sin has infected this planet and things are not right. And see, here we need to understand that the most important and urgent need is not for physical healing, but for spiritual healing. Jesus heals the man before he restores him. You know, let's say that he would have healed this paralyzed man, and the man walked out and he hadn't forgiven him, and the man eventually dies, 
and he's not forgiven. He would spend an eternity apart from God in hell. So the physical need brought this man to Jesus, but Jesus saw the deeper need. That's why he said, your sins are forgiven. That's what he needed more than anything. When we work with people in our 404 initiative, we know that deeper than their physical needs is a spiritual need. We all need to be forgiven. We have sinned against God, and we must repent and trust in Him. And that's what this story teaches us. It also teaches us that Jesus has the power and authority to forgive and to heal. I mean, you just see the power of Jesus Christ here. For one thing, he reads their thoughts. Some have suggested, well, you know, he could see these religious leaders were upset, and he just assumed that they were upset about what he said, and that could have been true. But I think there's something more Mark is trying to say. He's saying he sees right into them. He knows why they're grumbling. But Jesus also has power and authority to heal and forgive sins. And he forgives this man's sins. Because he knows that's his greatest need. But he also has the power to restore. Now, I want to draw this point because uh, sometimes people say, well, yeah, yeah, but God doesn't always heal. I mean, even when Jesus lived on this planet, he didn't heal everyone. So how does this work? Well, we have to keep in mind something. What people need most is to be forgiven. And after that, Jesus does bring a restoration. For instance, if somebody has a physical illness and comes to Jesus and is forgiven, the physical illness may not go away, but they receive spiritual benefits to help them deal with that illness. They begin to see that God has a plan for their lives. They see that their sins are forgiven and that the Holy Spirit has come to live in them. They see that no matter what a day may bring, God will never leave them or forsake them. They see that though they feel lonely at times, they have a new church family to help them through. I've met so many people who say, I am so glad I'm a Christian because walking through this journey, I don't know how I would do it without Christian friends. We have a community filled with people that have no Christian friends. And this is it. Ultimately, though, you know, we can pray and we may not be healed. Jesus forgives, but he may not heal us of the cancer. I remember the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Three times I prayed, Lord, I, I have this messenger of Satan. He's afflicting me. Three times I prayed, oh, Lord, heal me of this. And the Lord said, no. But he said this, but he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said when he realized that God's grace, his love, even in the midst of the suffering, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, he says, I, I boast that when I am weak, he is strong. I think that's what this story teaches us. There is restoration that comes when a person repents and trusts in Jesus. It may not be healing, but we know that Christ offers us in His sanctifying grace help for our daily need. Hebrews chapter 12.
But I think this story tells, tells us something else. I think Mark wants us to know that this is a picture of our ultimate restoration. According to the Bible, someday we will go and all this misery will be behind us. And our bodies will be made whole again. And the lame will walk and the blind will see. There's a woman who's been so influential in my life for the last 44 years. Her name is Elsie Fry. I fell in love with her the same time I fell in love with her daughter. <laughs> Elsie has been like a mom to me. Her faith remained strong even as her husband had multiple sclerosis and over 20 years his life ebbed away and he passed away and Elsie cared for him day after day, with a smile on her face, growing stronger in the Lord every day. We celebrated her 90th birthday last week. But she has dementia. And it was bittersweet to go to the assisted living where Elsie is and to remember what she was like and to see her now. Yesterday, my wife and I went over to see Elsie. And this always breaks me up because as soon as I come in the door and she saw me, her face just lit up. I had to put my glasses on so she'd remember who I was. But her face just lights up. She loves me so much, so much more than I deserve. And her face lit up. And she couldn't remember my name, but she loved me. And I said to Cindy on the way home, you know, reading Mark 12, Mark chapter 2, I've realized that dementia is not the end of the story. Jesus is the end of the story. There'll be a day when her mind will be restored. There's a reason that we say cancer is not the end. Jesus has the final word, not cancer. There's a reason we say that addictions do not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. And someday we will be restored. And according to 1 John chapter 3, we will see him face to face and will be like him. This is what this story teaches us. Jesus alone, Son of Man, has the power to forgive and to heal. He has the final word. By the way, if you want to say amen at any time, this is a worship service. Feel free to do it. I'm not the only worshiper here. This is encouraging material. And it leads us to this final conclusion. How are we to respond to this? Well, I think I would say... Isn't this passage teaching us to proclaim Jesus boldly to a suffering world of human need? I mean, those of us that have experienced the forgiveness and restoration of Jesus ought to be telling everybody boldly. I love how Jesus said, the Son of Man. There's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 that I would like you to look at. 
because certainly Jesus had this in mind, especially when you come to Mark chapter 8. He says, Daniel is speaking here. Daniel is uh, having a night vision. And he said, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient One, that would be God the Father, and was led into his presence and he was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world to the people of every race or nation and language that they should obey him. His title is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. You see, this is why Jesus has authority to heal and forgive. He is the Son of Man. He identifies with us. He is also God, and He is able to do what we cannot do. This is beautiful truth, and this is why we must proclaim Him. If you're not a Christian here today, I hope that you will hear Jesus proclaimed loud and clear. He is your only hope. He alone has the power and authority to forgive you and to restore you. If you don't yet know Him, I pray that you would repent, own up to your sins, and trust in Him alone and be forgiven. And if you are a Christian, my prayer is that you would boldly trust Jesus to transform people's hearts. I mean, look at the faith of these four friends. I forgot to mention them in lesson three. Look how they cared. They were confident that Jesus could do something. Are you confident in Jesus? You see, when God is big, our faith is big. When God is big, sin is big. When God is big, our hearts are big. They were confident. They were compassionate. They loved their friend. They wanted to help him. Their faith was creative. They were willing to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. Are we? They were contagious. Imagine how it felt for that man to see them carrying him up. And even though he wasn't sure he'd be dropped, he knew his friends loved him and their hope was contagious to him. It was contagious to Jesus. It says when he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. It was contagious to the crowd. Is our faith that way? Because when God is big, our faith is big. When God is big, sin is a big issue. And when God is big, our hearts break for the people around us. Sometimes we just need to be reminded our problems paralyze us and get in the way. But it always helps sometimes, helps me anyway, to read about persecuted Christians. Do you know that Two-thirds of the Christians in this world suffer persecution on a daily basis. There's a man named Nick Ripken. That's not his real name. He's changed his name to protect the people he works with in countries that have a hostile environment. But he wrote this book as a result of interviewing persecuted Christians around the world, and he asked them this question, what keeps you going despite persecution? He met a pastor named Pastor Dmitri in Russia. Pastor Dmitri had been pastoring a small house church 
And as long as it was small, it was fine. But when it grew to 80 people crammed into a house, the Russian authorities saw it, and they came knocking at the door. Three of them arrived, and they slapped him up and down, and they said to to Pastor Dimitri, unless you stop holding these services here, we will throw you in prison. And uh, slapped him a little bit more. Well, according to Pastor Dimitri, one of the elderly ladies in that church group stood up and she said to that communist official that was striking her pastor, don't you know you're striking God's anointed? You will be dead within a few days. Now that would get your attention, especially since he died of a heart attack two days later. Overnight, the church doubled its size. Wow, God must be alive! Which, of course, attracted the communist officials again. And they came back and they said to Dimitri, since you won't stop, we're throwing you into prison. Seventeen years in prison. Before he went to prison, Pastor Dimitri pulled his family aside. He had to leave his wife and three sons. And he said to them before he left, now get this, if while I'm in prison I hear that you died for Jesus, I will rejoice because it means you've been faithful to Jesus. I I thought, you know, would that be my prayer? Or would I be praying, Lord, keep them safe. Oh, maybe you should get out of the country. Maybe you should hide. No, no, no. If you are persecuted for the sake of Christ, I will praise God that you stayed faithful. Nick asked him, how did you stay strong for Christ in prison? He said, I had two spiritual habits that I practiced every day. First thing, and it was a large prison, 1,500 residents. He said, every morning, first thing, you know, a tiny little cell, he could get across it in two steps. Every morning, he said, I got up and I would sing to God my heart song. Now, I think by heart song, he meant some praise chorus or hymn of praise. And he would sing it, and he didn't sing it quietly. He sang it with all his heart. And, and he, at first, you know, all the residents would mock him and laugh at him. And he said, the second thing I did is every day I would look for paper. Sometimes they'd leave a little bit of paper, and I'd take that paper, and I had hidden a pencil, and, and I would take that piece of paper, and I'd write down every scripture I could remember, along with all the songs I could remember, the hymns of the faith. And he said... It was kind of wet and dripping up above my cell and I would stick that to the the sticky wall and and I would give it to God as a sacrifice of praise. And every day the prison guards would come in and they'd say, you need to stop singing and here we see another piece of paper and they would take him out and beat him. Day after day. Finally the day came when they told Pastor Dimitri, We have killed your wife and your sons. They said, this is what we want you to do. We want you to say, recant of your Christianity, sign this paper, say you're no longer a Christian. Pastor Dimitri said, well, can I have a night to think about it? He said, okay. And in the night, as he prayed to God, God gave him some kind of a sign where he could actually hear his wife and boys praying for him. And he was convinced after this experience that they were still alive, which they were. So the next day, the guards came. They said, 
okay, Pastor Dimitri, sign this paper. He said, no, I'm not signing it. No, he said, you lied to me. My wife and boys are still alive. And they said, well, then you're facing execution. He said, okay. And as, as they took him down the hallway to execute him, 1,500 prisoners stood and sang the hymn that he sings every morning in unison. Pastor Dimitri said it was the most beautiful choir he'd ever heard. And as soon as those prisoners began to sing, the communist officials backed away and let him go back to his cell. They could not figure out how one man had so much power. Let me ask you a question. Why did that happen? Because Pastor Dimitri believed that Jesus alone, Son of Man, has the authority to forgive and to heal, and he was not going to hide his faith and love for Christ. Oh, that God would strengthen our faith. We're so easily intimidated. The obstacles that keep us from getting to Jesus or bringing our friends to Jesus seem so severe. We wouldn't dream of going up a step and unmantling someone's house. But if we really know Jesus and our God has the authority to forgive and to heal, what do we have to worry about? Go forth in faith. Go forth in faith. Let's stand, shall we? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for people like Pastor Dimitri. Forgive us, Lord, for our feeble faith. Strengthen us. Help us to be contagious witnesses. And we know that only happens when we get to know the one, the Son of Man, who has the authority to forgive and to heal. Lord, your word is so powerful. You say you are forgiven and we are forgiven. You say you are healed and we're healed. Only you have that power. And so, Father, help us. Help us to just trust in you and to be creative and compassionate and confident and contagious in our faith. Who knows what might happen in our community when we follow your word. In Jesus' name, amen.